Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 24. Now, the next few weeks, I've titled this really, Walking in Harmony. But you're going to see there's a different picture there. Let's open in prayer. Father, we come to you humbly, seeking you to speak, to speak to us, to speak to our hearts. Lord, to draw us close, Lord Jesus, to follow in your footsteps, to follow in your ways because your ways are higher than our ways. So Lord, we we commit this morning to you. We thank you for this opportunity, for this building as we desire to paint, make changes as, as everything comes together. And we ask that, Lord, that you would lead those steps and that we would never run ahead of you. Lord, you said you would build the church, and Lord, we want you to build the church, and we want to be your hands, your feet, the bodies that you use. But Lord, we know the church is not a building, it's the people. We want to be built up in you, and we want to see others come into the kingdom, and we want to see them built up in you, and resting and trusting in you, and leaning not on their own understanding but up on you. So God, enable us to be faithful. Make us faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As I talked about, the the title for this message is Walking in Harmony. And and that really comes from that fact when we started in Ephesians chapter 4, we saw that we are to walk worthy of that calling. We saw the importance of walking in love as Christians. That's the mark of a Christian. That's how we're to walk through this life. And then we saw that we are to walk through this life as light. Walk in the light. Walk in his light and let that light go out and shine. That people see there's something different about us. And then we saw walking in wisdom, that importance of wisdom. And every one of us here, we all agree, we all need wisdom. We need spiritual wisdom. We need wisdom for our daily choices. I think of Solomon when he prayed. He prayed when he became the king. Give me the wisdom to rule the people. And his first failure was, give me wisdom to walk in your ways. We need wisdom to walk in his ways. Because his ways are higher than our ways, different than our ways. And we need that wisdom, that wisdom of God. So when I came to this section, it's, it's walking in harmony because we're going to start with wives today and wives, husbands get it next week. Oh no, not that they get it, but I hope they will get it. If we are to walk in harmony in our relationships as a husband and wife, there's certain things that the Lord has said to the women and certain things he said to the men and children and as servants. And we're going to see that. And, and that's what God would have us walk in harmony. And walking in harmony is one of the things that we don't see in life. Unless two agree, how can they walk together? And that's why there's so many wars, so many divisions. Why people get angry and, and leave. Because they're not willing to submit to the Lord. Now, I think every one of us are probably familiar with the name Rodney Dangerfield. 
And it was an interesting thing that he said one time, and he wasn't necessarily joking at this point. But he said about his relationship with his wife, he says, we sleep in separate rooms. We eat our meals separately. We have separate bank accounts. We go on separate vacations. We're doing everything we can to keep our marriage together. So often the ways of the world are so different. My own life, maybe your life, you have bought in the past to the lies of the world. Divorce is an option. But within the body of Christ, divorce should never be an option, but in very, very rare cases. Let me read from Genesis 2.18. It's on the screen. Notice what it says. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. When God created man and woman, he said it was not good for man to be alone. And that would be true of women. It's not good for a woman to be alone. And there is that gift of singleness that sometimes God gives Sometimes after a death, sometimes he gives a gift to a person right from the very beginning. But all in all, God has made us that we would be in relationship and fellowship together. I am so thankful for my wife. She brings out the good in me and she brings out the worst in me. And when I see that worst, I can confess I can repent and I can find myself crying out to the Lord, Lord, change me. In reality, if you think about that, that's a very good point, isn't it? That we need to change. Because we haven't done so well on our own in our relationships, in our government, in this world. We need to pray, God, give us Christian homes. Give us Christian homes, but what does it mean to to have a Christian home? And I'm not going to expand a lot on it because I have another message I need to give, but this is only the background, what we need to think about. And, And really when we think about what is a marriage? See, it was something that God instituted in the beginning because it was not good that man would be alone. In fact, marriage is a a covenant commitment. It's between a man, it's between a woman, who are legally and spiritually joined together as what we call a husband and a wife. It's a covenant commitment, and most people today do not understand what a covenant is. When I got married, it was the idea is if it doesn't work, I'll just get a divorce. That is not a covenant A covenant, when we go and look in the Bible, a covenant, it's interesting, the word means to cut a covenant. To take an animal and cut it in half. There needed to be a death. There needed to be a a shedding of blood. And and when they would cut this animal, the blood would run down through a vein as they would cut in a, a slight hill. The two people would walk in it, in the blood, barefoot, And the one that violated that covenant, it would be upon their head. 
Abraham did this. That's the first picture we see. A covenant is a commitment. And God established that covenant. And when we come again to the marriage covenant, and it's important that if we're to keep this marriage covenant, there's something very important that, that we need to understand a death is required. A death, a death to self. Because not every woman is going to agree with the husband and the husband is not going to agree with the woman. And, and there's times that we just have to die to self. We're not there to change that person, rearrange that person, correct that person. That's God's responsibility. If there is to be peace, we have to die to self. And that is the hardest thing for any one of us. Because our wives, our husband, our children, our families, our government will let us down. There needs to be a death. And that death to self is to be on both parties. The woman, the husband. Many of the marriage vows today are, are changing. Changing from what they used to be. And, and it was something that was taught. And let me read. Iran. Oh, this is from Judy and I. Just a generic one. Take Judy to be my wedded husband or wife. She would say the same. To have, to hold from this day forward for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish till death do us part. According to God's holy ordinances, I pledge my faith. A covenant is we make a covenant with that wife. We make that covenant with the husband. And if we are to walk this covenant out, there are certain standards that God has set for us that we can peacefully walk it out each day. As a covenant keeper, each one of us are singly responsible. Even if our mates do not respond the way we would like them to. How many times has your wife or husband not responded the way you think they should? Well, we, we don't even want to ask that question, do we? <laughs> no. How many times have you let your wife or your husband down? It's not so much what they do and whatever they do. You and I need to do what's right because we do it, we do it in honor to God. When we made that covenant agreement, that marriage covenant, it was to God, it was before God, and it was to each other. Till death do us part. That's been struck out of many marriages. I had someone recently that wanted me to marry them and and I sent them the, my vows that I would do, you know, as a, a kind of a generic thing on what they did, and they would want to strike and change everything in those vows. The covenant is to God, and with that spouse, 
that husband, that wife, till death do us part. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 says this, For this reason a man shall leave his father, his mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. There's a lot in these verses. I'm briefly going to go through them because this is the background. Because I thought about titling this message, The S Word. Submission, because that's something that none of us like to submit. To subject ourselves to someone else. But this is really the keys. If we want to have a godly marriage, if we want, again, to help others have a godly marriage. You know what makes a good marriage counselor? I'm going to tell you, a great failure. If you have been a failure then you can give wise counsel from God's Word. You can tell people the truth of God's Word. And when they look you in the eye, they know that you know because you have been a failure. You know what you have done wrong. You know that God's Word is truth. And when you do it His way, it is right. Well, let's look at this verse for a second. Again, the the first thing that's required when we're going to have a godly marriage is, is really separation. Separation. A man leaves his father, his mother. So both the husband and the wife leave the authority of their parents, their home environment they were in. They separate from that unit and now they are one unit. And so often there's an influence of of the father, the mother, from another relationship interfering in that marriage. We're to separate, separate to one another and separate unto God. When we do it God's way, then we can have a great marriage, a wonderful marriage, a marriage that glorifies God. The second thing I want to call your attention to that verse is one is the bonding. Notice it is, and is united to his wife. They are bonded. When a husband and wife go through a divorce, it's like taking a piece of plywood that has been laminated together and ripping it apart. It does not come apart easily. It brittle and goes all different ways. It splinters. It affects everyone around them. But if we would separate from our previous unit, family units, and we would bond to our wives. See, God is building a foundation. When we do it His way, we become united as one. And that idea, again, is united or bonding is a a mental commitment that I am committed to her no matter what. Not only am I committed just in a commitment, but committed to be faithful. Faithful. In a permanent relationship. No matter what happens. And that commitment needs to be with her as well. When people separate unto the Lord and to each other, and they're bonded like that, this marriage is a marriage 
that is unbreakable. Thirdly, there's a oneness. Notice the words again in that verse, and they became one flesh. There's this idea of, of, yes, a sexual closeness. And we don't always like to talk about that. That's that dirty word. No, it's not dirty. It's designed within the relationship of marriage. It helps to achieve a lasting oneness, a bonding. There's also an intimacy in there. They felt no shame. Think for a moment. Do you feel shame before your husband, before your wife? That's a little red flag that something's wrong in the intimacy of your relationship. Emotional oneness, yes. That encourages us to seek to be vulnerable before one another, to omit our weaknesses, our struggles to be transparent, to be honest, sharing frustrations and sharing failures and disappointments and desires. This is what makes us one and intimate, things that we would share with each other that we won't share with other people. Our unmet needs. Praying together and praying for one another and sharing what God does in our lives together. What is the purpose of marriage, though? What is the purpose of marriage? Oftentimes, people say, well, it's to make life easier. I heard, <laughs> heard you know, grandma say, what you need is a good woman. <laughs> what you need is Jesus. If you've got all those problems and she's saying that, you're going to be problems for her. What you need is Jesus. You need Him to be the center of that marriage. Again, the purpose. It's unique because it's, first of all, it's a marriage covenant. In the Bible, it's a, it's a relationship designed that we would be one, but it's also a picture of, of Christ and his bride. The church is the bride. You are the bride of Christ. Our lives, our marriages are to reflect really this relationship with Christ. Everything that Christ is to the church is what a husband should be to his wife. And the church, we're going to learn things, should be to the groom. So just in the same way that Christ sacrificially gave himself for the church, for you, your companion, you should be willingly giving yourself sacrificially for the sake of that other person, not yourself. That's the picture that God gives us. Ephesians 5.25 Look with me, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Guys, you get to give yourself up to deny yourself for your wife. 
Any man that does that for his wife, that woman will never ever have a problem submitting and falling in rank. And that's all it is underneath her husband. God's plan is a perfect plan. It's a good plan. Again, what he's talking about here is a partnership. God is giving you and your mate one another for life to be true companions to grow within that marriage relationship. Emotionally, spiritually, and in physical unity. Amos 3.3, I already mentioned it. Do two men walk together unless they've made appointment? Another translation uses that agreement. How can two people walk together if they don't agree? There needs to be this harmony as you and I walk through this life, that, that we have this same purpose, this same goal, that we're moving in the same direction. And no matter what the other spouse is doing, you and I need always to do the right thing. Well, there's the idea of pleasure too. Because a marriage relationship, your, your mate, are God's special gifts to you. And true enjoyment of your mate will grow out of self-control and a servant's heart. These are all things that are taught through the whole Bible. When we come to a, a place on marriage, I'll expand more on these things. Well, here's an example. I haven't used this illustration for a long time. It's supposed to be based upon a, a true illustration. A woman hated her husband with a passion. Maybe you have a friend that hates them with a passion. And she wanted to crush him and she wanted to destroy him when she got a divorce and she went to attorney. And attorney says, I'll tell you what you want to do. You want to, you want to ruin him for life. You, you, you want to just scar him forever. And, and oftentimes that's what happens with divorces, isn't it sometimes? Hatred, anger. He says, now what you go, do is go home and you make his favorite meal every day for him for a month. You cater to his every whim. You make him the king of the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you serve him the divorce papers. He won't know what's coming. And she's all excited. And she does this for about a month. And another month passes by and the attorney calls, well, you know, I've got your papers filled out for the divorce. And she said, what do you mean divorce? Well, you, you came in and you had this plan, you were going to crush him. She says, no, 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 I, I love him. See, as she begins serving him and loving him and giving her heart to him, he began to soften and begin to respond. And he was like the person that she first met. She didn't want a divorce. Somewhere she had quit trying many, many years ago. And even with the wrong motive, she started doing the things she did at first. And it changed her. And it changed him. See, the change starts in me. It starts in you first. It's not for you to change that other person. It's for you to change. That's God's way. Well, there's parenting. God's first command in Scripture was for Adam and Eve to be. Again, as Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them 
God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That there's to be children. And we know that not every marriage can have children and, and there's reasons. But when can? This is something that bonds people together. When my wife and I were divorced many years ago, it was the children that kept us together. Kept us seeing each other. And God used that in bringing us back together. It's the perfecting, really, of one another in, in that intimate relationship. It doesn't take long to become aware, really, of your partner's shortcomings. Sometimes even that honeymoon night, you recognize things that you never knew. But God uses both those weaknesses and those strengths to, to sharpen, to conform yourself as well as your partner into the image of Christ. In fact, you know the verse well, Romans 8, verse 28, or actually 29, I'm going to go for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Your wife, your husband, is the perfect mate for you, even if they rub you wrong. God is going to use it for good for those who love the Lord and called according to his purpose. Well, let's look at those roles and those priorities of really of the wife today. And I'll read her whole text and then we'll begin to look at it in a smaller section. Verse 22, that's chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Because the church has disregarded the whole counsel of God's word in, in the last few years, many believers have a hard time uh, really accepting what the word of God says, even understanding the word of God. And sometimes they're just totally unfamiliar with them. Isaiah adds something. Isaiah 55, 9, notice what it says. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't just figure things out on our own. We need God to show us his ways, his standards are higher. So when he speaks, he's telling us what will work. Often what we do is we come and we put band-aids on situations and the band-aids keep coming off. God wants us to look to his ways higher than his ways, or our ways, or higher than our ways, excuse me. Gods are so high, and they're contrary to the ways of the world. In fact, they're incomprehensible to, sadly, to much of the church. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, when we started this section, as I mentioned, we're to walk God's way. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, employ you to walk a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. How? With all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent, notice, to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
This applies not just to the body of Christ with other churches. This applies in our own homes, our own relationships. Can you imagine if we did this with one another when there's little divisions and, and, and bickering? When we do these things, this is a mark that you and I are in the spirit. The opposite of this would be we would be in the flesh, not in the spirit. Every believer is to fulfill this this high calling and he's called to, again, a a new life, a completely new spirit-filled way of living. No longer in the old way, no longer trying to do it on our own power, but relying upon Christ. God, I need you. I need your power, your spirit. I need you, maybe, to put a watchman at my lips. Anyone else need to do that? Yeah. Paul begins in this whole new section we're going through. Several illustrations as a family I already talked about. And New Testament makes it clear that there are no spiritual or more moral distinctions between Christians. We are all one. So when he starts talking about this idea of submission, no one is better than another person. There are different positions, different rankings. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. We are one in Christ. When you look at your wife, not only is she your wife, she is your sister in the Lord. He is your brother in the Lord. Acts 10.34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. He doesn't show more favor to one than another. Because of that person. He doesn't say, well, I really need that person because of the abilities they have. Oh, they could do great things for me. God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And then he gives that ability and grace. God's calling is always God's enabling. If he's called you into a marriage relationship, he will give you the ability if you rely upon him and not on your own reasoning. So all the basic privileges are are, are given to man. We just need to recognize his ways are higher than our ways and we need to trust in him and lean not on our own understanding. Look again at verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Some translations use that word submit. They're interchangeable in a sense. This verse causes many husbands, sadly to repress their wives. They begin to lord over them. Submission is something you voluntarily do. You cannot make a husband, you cannot make a wife, or even a child submit to you. It's something they choose to do. And it's something that we need to choose to submit to one another. Now standing alone, this verse has is, is, is been misinterpreted. It's unfair because if you only look at this verse and you eliminate the context of that passage, 
you miss the mark. You miss the idea. The preceding verse in verse 21 is said that we are to be subject to one another. See, it's not just wives submit or husbands submit. We are to submit to one another. In fact, I'm going to add something to it, not to the Word of God. We get to submit to one another. We get to fall under another and lift them up. It applies to every every wife. It replies, again, to every social standing. It doesn't matter their education, their background, their intelligence, their spiritual maturity, their giftedness, the experience. On and on it goes. It, it doesn't matter. No matter what the husband's intelligence is or character, attitude, or spiritual condition, or any other consideration, we're to submit, fall in rank. Paul says categorically, all, again, believers, that is, believing wives, are to be subject to their husbands. That isn't to be a doormat. Please understand that. It's not to, to have your husband have you do something that is sinful or wrong according to God's Word. No, it's not but to follow Him in the things of the Lord. Now the word, be subject. And it, notice in your, your translation, there's probably in italics, it means it wasn't in the original text. Well, how do you, you get that? It's because, again, as I mentioned, they went back to verse 21. That's the context of the passage. See, this is why we get so off. There's so many divisions because people miss the context. There's a context of a verse and the passage and, and even the context of the whole Bible. The idea is that be subject to one another and the fear of Christ is the first example. So wives are to be subject to their, notice their own husbands, not a husband of someone else. To your own husbands, personal, intimate, that's what it's saying. This is again going back to that intimate relationship. That word subject, it means to relinquish all your rights. You know, and that's true. When you come to Christ, you have no rights. Yet we come and we demand, I have all these rights. We surrender our rights. Because our Master is so good to us, we just want to give ourselves away. We, we know that He wants the best for us. And that's how a husband is to be with his wife. He's willing to lay down his life for his wife. Therefore, he wants the best. Because he cherishes her. He wants to see her lifted up and, and built up in Christ Jesus. And the idea of that word again is, is emphasizing the willingness to submit oneself. Colossians 3.18 says this, Wives, be again subject to your husbands. And notice it's fitting unto the Lord. It's fitting. It's right. It blesses the Lord. Submission is, so is this voluntary response to, to God's will, is giving up our individual rights. And, and that's another one, not only us, that's another one that people, in America especially, I have rights. You do. But you give them up for God. You give them up to have a great marriage that honors God. You give them up 
that you can experience all that God has for you. The wife is is not commanded to obey her husband. It's not saying, you have to obey me. Submission is, again, voluntary. You, You just willingly do it. You do not demand. The husband is not to treat his wife as a a servant, a slave. You know, can we be honest? How many really would love to have a a servant slave in the house? Anyone? Come on, thou shalt not lie. Everyone wants to have someone serve them in a sense, but, but she's not your slave. You are her slave. That's the example. Christ came to serve, not be served. Again, a husband, again, is not to command his wife. He's not to tell her to obey or demand obey like he would a child. She is the same as him, one as him, equal as him. She is not in, in, in this same rank as him, this position, where she's not given that responsibility. The husband's primary responsibility is to be the head of the house, to, to love. That's sacrificially, to provide, to protect, to serve his wife and his family. That's number one. After God, that's number one, is that family relationship. Everything else falls after that. Before sports, before anything else. Verse 22, the words, your own husband. Again, as I mentioned, it, it, it just suggests that intimacy. I don't know how often you read the Song of Solomon. I love to read the Song of Solomon. Every time I, I read the Song of Solomon, there's certain psalms I go and I read to my wife, and, and you will probably read and have some for you. But notice there in Song of Solomon 2.16, my beloved is mine and I am his. Aren't those great words? Do you feel like she's yours and you're hers? There's that intimacy. And, and then in verse 7, or I mean, chapter 7, verse 10, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Isn't that a wonderful feeling that your wife would desire you or, or your husband would desire you? That's the relationship when we do it God's way that God desires for you. He desires for me. And if it's not that, then, then we've got something wrong in that, that picture. We've done something wrong. We, we need to go back to the basics and start all over. The husband, again, he, he, again, possesses no more, or actually, let me put it this way, the, the husband possesses the wife, and the wife possesses the husband. Because they're one. It's not good for them to be alone. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful 
and fill or multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves. You know, the idea is that God put us responsible of creation. Man is given that responsibility, but why, the wife is a help me. You know, guys, you are not complete without your wife. It takes a man and a woman together to bring glory to God. And a wife's job in one sense is to help that man become everything that God would have him be, that he would be that spiritual leader, that best worker in that place. And the same thing the husband's supposed to do for his wife as well. They're not enemies. They are to be one. Also in verse 22, we see um, it is as unto the Lord. We see that mode of submission. Again, and that's important, the mode, okay? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We do these things to glorify God. As we do these to glorify God, we find that God has made us unique and special and we find that our relationship grows and how much more we love God and we love the wife or the husband that we are married to. We are to to submit, whether again in mutual submission or in just response to a functional authority. So the wife who is willingly, lovingly submits to her husband, also willingly, lovely, uh, lovingly submits to her Lord. But the wife who doesn't submit again to her husband really doesn't submit to the Lord. Because this is what's fitting. This is what's pleasing to the Lord. This is the Lord's will. Look at verse 23. We see also notice the, the motive for submission. For the husband is the head of the wife. And as Christ also is the head of the church. Now this is not meant to be a power struggle. It's just a rank. It's just a position. It means responsibility that's given uniquely to him. It means the weight is upon his shoulders. The buck stops with him. It means that, that when you decide together, when you pray together, the decision he makes is the decision that honors the Lord. He's going to be accountable for it, responsible for it, and not only to the Lord, but to you and to the family. The spirit-filled wife recognizes the husband's role, recognizes that God has put him in this place. It's God-given. It's God-ordained. It's not because he's wiser, smarter, or he's stronger. It's God's calling. To have a problem with it, it really is to have a, a problem with God. There has to be one leader. But a leader also at times knows how to follow. He knows how, again, remember, they're to submit to one another, to listen, to evaluate, not to lord over. Her husband is to be a, simply a reflection of, of Jesus Christ. As he demonstrated, again, his loving, authority, leadership. 
Jesus is that example, and, and, and this is what we want to help being formed in him as a, a wife to help him be that man. Notice the model. We see it in verses 23 and 24. He himself being the savior of the world, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Look again at the screen. First Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand this, that Christ is the head of every man, Man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. So simply an order, it's a rank, it's not better or worse, but ranking brings responsibilities. And it's the same for a husband. It's the same for a mother over the children, the responsibility of of raising children. Why they are a blessing, it is also hard. But the ultimate model is really the submission of Jesus Christ himself. His supreme act of submission, his own sinless life that he gave to be a savior of the world. Christ is the savior of the body. That is his church. That's important to understand. He died upon the cross. He is the perfect provider, the protector. He is the head of the church. And we are His body. We are the bride of Christ. Therefore, Jesus Christ is the divine role model for every husband to look to and say, I want to be like Christ. I want to lead as Christ does. I want to lay down my life as Christ laid down his life. We should provide the, the spiritual support, the physical and the emotional support. Husbands are to protect and preserve and love and lead their wives and their families as Christ cares for the church. The wife's submission, though, is comparable to Christ and the church. She submits to Christ. She depends upon Christ to help and for protection. She also depends upon help and protection from her husband. She also depends upon Christ for companionship and intimacy and comfort. And she depends upon her husband for companionship, intimacy, and comfort. It means that she recognizes her husband then is is really the head of the home and responds accordingly without usurping his authority, his power. I like what Elizabeth Elliot said. The best thing a woman can do for her husband is to make it easy for him to do the will of God. A wise and Christ-honoring husband will take advantage, will not take advantage of the leadership role. A wise and Christ-honoring wife will not try to undermine her husband's leadership. Wives, The S word, submit. 
unto your husbands. And you will experience the blessings that God has for you. Husbands, we need to submit as well to our wives. We need to sacrificially lay down our lives. Our wives need to feel safe and secure in our love. Feel protected. And even when they don't live up to our roles, we need to recognize we're not living up to those ourselves. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I must confess there are passages that I, I wish at times I could avoid because they're difficult, they're demanding, they're hard, that we don't want to hear. But Lord, your word is perfect. It's perfect in converting our soul. It, it tells us what we need to know and what we need to do. It tells us how we can be good husbands, loving husbands, how we can be really walking in love, walking in the light, walking in wisdom. And it reminds us that, Lord, you want the best for us and we should want the best for our families. And all God's people said, Amen.